As a loving parent, you worry about your children's well-being during divorce. In this podcast, you'll learn how to create a parenting plan that will give them the consistency they need and minimize conflict with your ex-partner. Listen to Sandy Schur, parenting mediator, and Stephanie Newberg, co-parenting counselor, to learn exactly what a parenting plan is, how a plan can help you work with your ex-partner, and when co-parent counseling can help. This is Sharon Pastore, and you're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. So the focus of today's call and really getting us started is creating parenting plans that work, and I really want to add to that work, that lead to effective co-parenting relationships or parenting relationships on the other side of divorce because this is a journey and a process, and we really want to provide support for that entire trajectory, and I am really excited. The guests that I have today are two of my favorite colleagues and and people to work with, so it is a total treat to be able to be here with both of them today. And so our first guest, and I'll invite you in a moment to say hello, but our first guest is Sandy Scher, and she is a parenting mediator with the Mainline Family Law Center. And for over 25 years, Sandy's been dedicated to building strong, healthy families. Her master's in education is in special education and psycholinguistics and has taken her to practically every kind of setting devoted to working with children and their families or caregivers. Her range of psychoeducational experience includes adult behavior therapy, adoption counseling, parenting education, foster care, child development, adolescent special needs, early childhood intervention, and parenting her own three children. To the latter end, she is a veteran volunteer and office holder in her community school district. For more information, you know, we'll give you information how you can reach her, but she can certainly be found through the Mainline Family Law Center. And so, Sandy, you want to say hi? Good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Great. And we will hear a lot more from you in a few moments. And our second guest is Stephanie Newberg. And Stephanie is a licensed psychotherapist and works with individuals, couples, and families. She's been in practice for 15 years, specializing in family and couples counseling, co-parenting counseling, which we'll talk a lot about today, implications of divorce on families, and grief and loss issues. Stephanie has led numerous workshops and presentations and has published articles on relationship and communication skills, co-parenting counseling, coping with family stressors, and children's mental health issues. She lives and practices in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. So, Stephanie, welcome. So glad to have you here. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. And so really, I'm excited to have Stephanie and Sandy um, on, and I want to just explain a bit about how we all fit together for this call for people who, you know, are kind of new in this process and may not be familiar with what parenting plans are or co-parenting and things like that. So, you know, let's begin. There is a trajectory here, and when people... um, 
become involved or engage in the divorce process, one of the pieces of developing a divorce agreement is a parenting plan. And once the divorce is complete, um, and perhaps somewhat in the, in the process of it, there's co-parenting or, or learning to parent in a different state of family configuration. And so, Sandy, I'm going to ask you first if you can kind of give us an introduction to parenting plans and what are they and how do they fit into the process? Alrighty. Um, <clears throat> first and foremost, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a little frog that joined us on the call. <clears throat> a parenting plan is the parents, and that's plural, opportunity to decide what's best for your children. And that's different from turning that choice over to the court because we're very mindful that lawyers and judges are experts in the law, not on child development. So during the process of divorce, when parents uncouple and are trying to establish separate identities, we're concerned that the kids who want to be drawing closer into their family no longer have their parents as husband and wives, but that the kids' needs are always protected and that they're insured specifically through a plan that they will always be cared for by mom and dad. So the parenting plan is an agreement that is written by the spouses who are now just parents to serve the best interests of the children, and it is a conciliatory process. It is not combative. It is intended to help the parents practice child centered parenting. And even though it is in fact a legal document and has the support of the court, should terms be abrogated somewhere down the road, it should not be viewed by I'm sorry, it should not be viewed by parents as a legal recourse for implementing the plan. It should be viewed as an agreement which holds the children as the highest moral authority. And it will work because the parents have agreed upon all of its terms and provisions. Is that a good overview? That is a great overview. And I imagine as people are listening, they're coming up with all sorts of questions, and I want to come back to that. At first, I want to invite Stephanie to just talk about what co-parenting is or learning to parent separately um, is and give us a similar definition on her side, and then we'll come back to nuances and questions and complexities in terms of achieving these things and how they can serve. So, Stephanie, you know, I want to invite you, as Sandy said, early on in the process, as parents are navigating through divorce, the parenting plan really lays out an, an agreement placing the, the child, the children at the center as to, you know, what parenting and how it's going to look like, how the children's needs will be met. And so tell us a little bit about your piece of the puzzle and how it works. Okay. Okay. So in addition to the, so the parenting plan lays this, lays the framework and the stage and the logistics for what parents have agreed upon. And then the co-parenting parenting part is more the process in which parents learn how to communicate and um, 
share together how they're best going to parent their children in a way that's separate with their own values and their own ways of doing things, but is also somewhat in agreement with, with principles that they've agreed upon ahead of time about how they are going to, in a more united way, present issues and topics to their children around all different areas of the parenting plan. So it's the process, it's the emotional support, it's the parenting piece that then goes in tandem with the plan that has been agreed upon. So I love that because you gave us a really nice, easy framework of, you know, one is like the logistics, the concrete tangibles of the agreement. And then, and then there's a whole process. Like, how do we do that in reality? Because we can have an agreement that says all sorts of things. And then we know when we get home and we start to do things. And so your piece is really focused on the process of how do we begin to implement this, especially in a new configuration, um, which is what we're moving into through divorce. Absolutely. And that it really takes a lot of mindfulness, a lot of proactivity, a lot of thinking through, a lot of intentional ways of talking about things, of, of thinking about how the other parent handles things, of thinking about your children's emotional needs, of how to put your children in a position where their needs and their emotions and their struggles are really on the forefront, and that you're working in the best interest of your kids with the hope that the other parent is also doing the same thing. Right, exactly. Can I, can I add to Stephanie's sure. insights? What I'd like listeners to understand is that although I said this agreement is intended to be conciliatory, um, it also includes in its body very specific requirements of the court in terms of how to consider the best interests of the child. And I just thought I'd read a couple of clauses from a typical parenting agreement so that listeners can hear how the court wants to include those emotional and psychological underpinnings that Stephanie was referring to in making plans to care for the best interests of the children. So this is language taken right from a parenting agreement, which is general and not specific to any one family. Um, Every agreement that we do, however, is very unique to the family being served, but there are also these underlying assumptions that I just thought parents might appreciate knowing are built into such a mediated plan. So first of all, child custody under Pennsylvania law is based on the best interest of the child standard. So that is a given. That is the point of departure. Um, Each parent shall have the duty to notify the other of any event or activity regarding the children that could reasonably be expected to be of significant concern to the other parent. So that's assuring that regardless of the amount of time you are actually spending with your child, you will always be included by the other parent in any decision of significance to your child's life. I'll just read you one more because I know that folks are worried about this. It is stipulated that it shall be the expressed duty of each parent to uphold the other parent as one whom the children should respect and love. And that's in the agreement which becomes law upon the finalization of your divorce decree. And that's probably one of the stipulations that Stephanie has to help folks understand how to actually bring to life. Am I right, Stephanie? Absolutely. And um, if you, if it's okay, I actually wanted to make a couple of points about what I really believe a good co-parent is. Mm-hmm. Is that okay, Adina? Sure, go ahead. 
Okay. So it really goes in tandem with what Sandy was saying, which is really a focus on the children, their well-being, the best interests of what they're going through and what would be the best thing for them, and not on retaliating or getting revenge at all costs, that you're really focused, again, on the long-term goals of your children's well-being and health, and that you're committed to cordiality and civility in your interactions with each other, and that you're committed to regular non-conflictual communication with each other, and that you're ultimately able to have an ability to attend children's events without overt hostility, and that there's cooperative decision-making on essential issues. So those are some of the things that really go in line with that process and the emotional support and the actual ways of handling things separately and as co-parents. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that I'd like to do in, in kind of guiding our, the continuation of our conversation is, you know, one of the, I want to present some of the, the questions, I'll even call them challenges, that people might be, you know, experiencing right now. Okay, that sounds great, but, so I, I want to verbalize some of the things that people <laughs> sure. are wondering and what some of those buts might be mm-hmm. and invite the two of you to talk a little bit about them. Um, and then, you know, to continue to get into some more specifics as to how this actually happened. Um, you know, even when parents are married, the, some, agreeing on some of the stuff that is actually in a parenting plan. So if we did parenting plans as married parents, it would be exactly. probably be a challenge to agree yeah. upon. And parenting when we're married, you know, is difficult, let alone when we're not. And so, you know, suddenly we take this microscope or this, you know, magnifying lens and we like place it over this when we're at the hardest time in our lives to relate to the other person to achieve something that we may have had terrible difficulty even achieving when we were married and in the best of our places. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, let's talk about that big elephant in the room here as people are listening thinking like, how in the world do you do that with somebody who, you know, your main objective might be right now is to, you know, be as far away from as you can be or to, you know, you're so frustrated that you want to get away. So, you know, San- like both of you, I'm going to open it up, but like Sandy, why don't you start us off here? You know, how do we deal with that elephant in the room? Okay, so the first thing, as Stephanie said earlier, is a mindfulness about language. Language is crucial to this whole process for several reasons. Number one, remembering that we are not spouses anymore. We are uncoupled. We regard ourselves as parents. And as parents, typically, we agree about more than not regarding our children. So for starters, we're coming from a more optimistic vantage point because we do agree more often than not about what serves our children's best interest. The second thing is that we are actually parenting separately. We are not in the same space. We are raising our children by ourselves during the time each parent is on duty. That means we're not always looking over our shoulder to see what the other parent is doing, whether there's a raised eyebrow, whether we're anticipating an objection to whatever it is we're doing or saying with our children while that parent is present. So the absence of the other parent while you are on duty and raising your children eliminates a tremendous amount of tension of the stress that may have been present during the marriage. So... While we talk about co-parenting in the sense that we are cooperating in our children's best interest, it does not mean that we are constantly in touch with one another about 
how we are raising our children during our time to be the on-duty parent. So the language is really, really important to form the right concept so that we can minimize a lot of the anxiety and tension that has been present when we've been together trying to raise the children when we ourselves are dysfunctional. So I tend to use parenting apart, parenting separately um, as a reminder to parents that they're relieved of the other person's presence all the time. And that just helps resolve many, many issues. Um, right, and I just I just want to jump in there, Sandy, as you say that. And I think, you know, even in my own experience, that I know that both for my children's dad and for me that that made a very big difference. You know, that any places, not on the big issues, because as you said, on the really big issues, there was much more agreement than not. And on the day-to-day, the ability to be able to navigate parenting in your own, you know, each of us in our own way was much more liberating. And, you know, I think what you were you know, one of the things you were indicating in here is that once we figure out what the difference is between the really big stuff we decide together and the everything else and we can put things in the right buckets, that there can yep. be a tremendous amount of freedom that comes from that. Absolutely. And an improvement in the relationship that you already have with your children because now you're functioning entirely as yourself and you discover and your children discover new dimensions, new strengths, maybe new weaknesses, which then empowers your children to be able to own their own weaknesses and understand that things do get better with effort. Um, it is a very liberating experience and um, kind of an accidental parenting benefit that often comes with divorce. Right. So, Stephanie, I want to turn to you a little bit with this elephant standing in the room here because you see people when they get to the implementation stage, you know, so Sandy guides them through and, you know, sometimes her, her incredible skills, sometimes the grace of, you know, God or whatever that they get to a parenting <laughs> plan, um, you know, or the courts decide on one. And then people come to see you because they have to begin to live it every day. And I am sure that they come to you with that question of like, how can I possibly do this with somebody who, you know, I'm divorcing and, you know, our communication has fallen apart in so many places and all those things. So, you know, what do you do with the elephant in the room? Well, the first, one of the things that I wanted to address around that is that, you know, Sandy brought up that it can be extremely liberating and really empowering to all of a sudden be able to be on your own without the other person looking over your shoulder and that you're able to really sort of develop yourself and have your children develop very special and, you know, personal relationships with you. And I think that if one of the elephants in the room is a concern a lot of parents have about the other parent's ability to really step up and be a very strong Mm -hmm. and competent parent when the other person's not there, that it can go the other way too, you know, that you not only are not only looking backwards and feeling maybe judged by the other parent when they're around, but that you can be judging the other parent as well. And that one of the things that Sandy just brought up that I think is really important to hold on to is that not only is it incredibly important that you support and respect your children's ability to have a relationship with both of you, because that's really what all the research shows is Mm -hmm. absolutely the most important part of what's going to come out of a divorce situation is that they have equally good and close relationships with both of you, but that you support that and that you start to believe and somewhat move into a direction of having more faith and trust, if possible, in your ex-spouses or ex-partner's ability to be there for your children in ways that you might not have seen them be able to do in the past. But a lot of times the independence of being out on your own and, and actually the, the, um, 
the force of what that means really can enable and empower that other parent to really step up in a way that they might not have been able to during the relationship. And if you can work with the ability that this is a really important tenant that your kids really need to have equally strong relationships with both parents and that you start to have some faith and trust in that parent's ability to ultimately step up and do the right thing and be an equally strong parent as you are. That's a really important tenant of this work. And if you right. get to that place, then I think it can really enable some trust to, to evolve and for you to really start to have a sense that you guys will be able to make some decisions about the really big issues that you'll need to share and discuss and be equally a part of and that all the other ways that you're going to be parenting separately will also fall into place. So I'm going to let Sandy comment because I know she's chomping at the bits, as am I, just to comment on that. So go ahead, Sandy. Just, just, just quickly, as a reminder, both parents want to protect their children. Always have, always will. And so to help parents focus by maybe having a hook that they can default to, remember that you are the only two individuals in the whole wide world who have the power to ensure that your child or children are protected from your conflict. So if you remember that your goal has always been from the moment your child was born to protect and keep that child safe, you have to continuously recall that and be very clear that you are the only two people who can basically protect your child or children from yourselves. And when you realize that your goal as parents has not changed, the environment has changed, but the goal has not changed. That really simplifies your, your process. Am I doing, am I thinking, am I feeling, am I acting right now on behalf of my children? Or am I reflecting my own insecurity, anger, bitterness, get back at whatever that has nothing to do with my child? Mm-hmm. And if you can be that honest and that mindful in the moment of yourself and your motivations, it really simplifies the parenting process. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, really, it's very, I love that you said that and brought that in, and it is, it's a huge mindfulness practice, but you just laid it out for us in such clear terms that we can even write that question down, mm-hmm. carry it with us and ask ourselves, you know, when we're arguing over vacation time or we're, you know, whatever it is, is to pull that question out and keep asking ourselves, Again and again, Um, you know, Stephanie, some of the things that you said and and the responses or things that were arising in me when you talked about it is from my own experience on the coaching side is I have certainly seen what you described again and again again, in my own experience and again and again with clients is that we need to remember that, as Sandy just said, you're the two people that most want to protect your children And you may have different ideas about how to do that. It's not that one doesn't want to protect and care for the children. It's that you have different ideas about it. And creating the space for both ideas and perspectives to be relevant. And, you know, one of the things that I have found is that as one parent, you know, sometimes there may be a parent who sees themselves as the buffer or as the primary caregiver or as the one who protects the child more or even from the other spouses, maybe harsher ways or things like that. Things come up. And what I see again and again and again is as one parent lets go of some of the control 
how everything transforms, you know, what, how the other parent, how the Absolutely. second parent grows. And, you know, it's just creating space for someone else to be the fullness of their parent because together you may have actually been treading on each other's space. Exactly. And that there's something extremely therapeutic and really transformative actually in my office when I can get people to a space where they can let down their guards, be open to that concept, to see the other parent as a competent person who can come out and be more of who they want to be when they're separate, and they can start to respect and trust and really listen to the other person's opinions and thoughts about things. And when that actually happens, that's when the work transforms, and that's when you're able to really fully trust the other person, listen, and together make really important decisions about things that you thought you couldn't work out before, you couldn't work out in the space of sitting together in a co-parenting counseling session. And that's really the process that I was referring to at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And so what I want to invite each of you to do is actually to take us behind the scenes, like let's pull the curtain back and see what it looks like in the parenting agreement room with you, Sandy, or, you know, whoever is going to be helping with the parenting agreement. Now let's pull back the curtain and talk to us about like how that happens. You know, what does it look like logistically and what happens during the process that transforms that relationship through the parenting agreement creation so that they're ready for the next So pull back the curtain and take us inside. (laughs) Okay, this is Sandy. I'll start a little bit with some nuts and bolts that I'm sure folks are wondering about. How do you create a parenting schedule? Where are the children going to be when? And what decisions go into making that schedule happen? And what I said earlier in the conversation is that every plan is unique and reflects each family's specific configurations of dynamics and circumstances. So no two parenting schedules looks alike. And what I have is a couple of examples to share with you of some parenting schedules based on the context out of which they grew. For example, one particular parenting schedule involves a mom who has evening work, evening or night shift work. Now, these parents are fairly amicable, and they live within close driving proximity to one another. When I say fairly amicable, I mean they don't want anything to do with one another socially or personally, but it's a low-conflict separation or divorce. So the schedule that we created to suit their circumstances and their emotional milieu includes the children sleeping at dad's every night, every school night of the week because mom's working. But then mom has the children all the weekend nights except for one. But during the day, mom is the on-duty parent until 3 p.m. So that means during a school day, it is mom who takes the children to school. It is mom who is available to attend anything during the day that needs attention. Mom to receive calls about a sick child or an unexpected school closure or whatever. So in that way, mom is very actively involved during the school week, even though the children are not sleeping with her on school nights. But then after school, depending upon mom's schedule, the children will go home to dad's house. That's one example of a schedule that was worked out that is considered shared parenting. And we're not counting the hours that equal shared parenting, quote-unquote, we are making the hours that the parents have available count. It's a very different logarithm. Um, 
An, an opposite example is parents who are acrimonious. They want as little as possible to do with one another, very high conflict, and they want to minimize conflict as much as they possibly can and transitions. So they are also parents of older children, they're teenagers, and these folks alternate weeks. One parent has the children seven days, seven nights. The other parent has the children seven days, seven weeks, uh, seven days, seven nights, the alternating week. They have carved out time to communicate about issues of import, and they have stipulated that the communication should not be face-to-face or on the phone. It should only be in writing, both so they don't have to hear each other and also so there's a written document reflecting what they agreed upon. So that's a different kind of arrangement. Um, I'll share one more, and then I'll turn it over to Stephanie to give some examples of what she encounters. There's an example of shared custody, but mom sees the children every day. So even though the children sleep at each of their parents' homes the same number of nights per month, the parents, because of their proximity to one another and their work schedules, have created opportunities for the mom to see the children physically every single day of the week because the parents together determined that that would help enhance the kids' sense of security, at least in the short term. And the operative word there is short term because obviously as circumstances change and as time goes on, the children's needs and the ensuing plans also change because we always want to modify the agreement to meet the actual needs of the children at the time. It is not a stagnant document. It is very much alive and very much changing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, just piggybacking on that, as I know, even with my own children, things were one way for one year. They changed the next year. They changed the next year, you know, based on each of our experiences and based on what the kids wanted as well, because our kids were old enough to participate in the decision making as well. And so, you know, I think your point, which is so important, is that there's no set thing. Like we hear about 60-40s and 50-50s and, you know, summers and this, and that the possibilities are infinite. And really, if, if two parents come to the table and really put their children's best interests first, that they have a tremendous amount of opportunity and control to design something that really will work and, you know, to, to put forth that effort because the benefit to everybody on the other side is so great. Exactly right. And with a mediated agreement, it's the parents who have the opportunity and the power to change the agreement when and as necessary. It doesn't require a lawyer or court intervention. The parents can make a change, agree upon it, sign it, append it to the original parenting plan, and that is the new agreement. So it makes it totally child-focused, and it puts the parents squarely in control. Right, and I'm going to say one more comment before I turn it over to Stephanie to pull back the curtain to the counseling work that she does, because I think this is so important, is when parents are having a hard time getting along with each other, it is very, very easy to say, we're just going to let the court decide, because trying to work with each other can feel so difficult, and the more I do this work, and I actually know why, you know, Sandy, it's like why the mediation firm exists and why you work there, is that once the court it's in the court's hand. There's no control. Then somebody, who, exactly as you said, who doesn't know your children, who doesn't know anything about your lifestyles, pretty much decides, and you're stuck with what that decision has been. And the cases where I've seen that happen, it's so difficult. 
on families. And so as hard as it might be to come together, it is a way, way, way better option than leaving it in the hands of just let the court decide. Yep. Yes, absolutely. So, Stephanie, let's go to you and let's pull the curtain back, you know, because sometimes people choose to come to you for counseling, you know, once there's a parenting agreement that they've created, and sometimes they get told to come to you because the court created an agreement when they didn't, and then they land in your office. And, you know, you're charged with how do you work with this couple to begin to implement a plan, which in some cases is more mindful and requires more attention than what they would have been doing had they stayed married. So, you know, you've got a big task. (laughs) How do you do that? (laughs) Well, I mean, the first thing that I want to say is, is that I really try to also highly encourage and really support and empower them to take an approach where they're in control, as Sandy talked about, that I'm really doing a lot of work to try to help them take the course and the litigation out of their process. And that a lot of times we have to start with that because I would say about 50% of the time, the couples that come to me are court mandated. So they not only are using the courts to decide about a lot of aspects of their family life, they're also there because the courts have told them to do that as well. So it is a slightly different approach and process than what Sandy has, which is our voluntary couples who have come and really have mindfully decided that mediation is really the best route. So a lot of it is educating them on and showing them the benefits and the positives if they can get the litigation and lawyers and the legal system out of their process. So we have to do a lot of that work. And a lot of that work entails what I brought up at the beginning is if you can really, you know, start to have a mindset that this is a parent, this other person is the, one of the only other people in your children's life aside from you who really have your children's best interests at heart, who truly care and really want to protect and be there and be involved in their child's life as much as you do, if you can get to that mindset, then you can start to work with them and listen to them and see that there, there's actually a lot of areas that you agree on. That that I, is a lot of my process too, is that I'm trying to start with strengths and start with the areas that you really agree on so that you can really see that there is some growth and potential there. And then when there's areas that you don't agree on, that you can start to at least look at and understand the other perspective and the other side. And that I really try to help people see that there maybe are two different ways of looking at an issue that you at one point thought was only a one-sided, you know, there was only one-sided answer to. So that's another whole thing. But I also try to help them look at the process as a business type of situation, that if you can take out the real emotionality out of it and you can just look at it as a very sort of clear-cut process where you're just making decisions in a business-like kind of manner and we can create a structure and a predictability to it that I provide them with and that we can go down a list and just start to look at all these important parts of a child's life, whether it be their medical appointments, the medicine that they have to take, um, you know, their school activities, their extracurricular activities, the way that they do and perform in school, the way that they're, you know, they're acting out at home, some of their behavioral challenges, their, their relationships with their siblings or their friends, their relationships with you, how you're managing, you know, all aspects of caretaking, that if we can start to turn it into a very structured, predictable kind of sequence of an agenda that we go through, that, you know, you can, you can learn and work on ways to really communicate, hear from the other parent, and build on something that there is some consistency and fluidity around, with the idea that things continue to change as children you know, mature and grow up and develop, and that there is a need to constantly reevaluate this over time. 
Right. And if I could just add that, as Stephanie said, she has many folks who come to her without such an agreement in place or one that has been imposed on them. All of the items that Stephanie ticked off are items that are included in a mediated parenting agreement. Everything she says is included in each family's parenting agreement at the end of the mediated parenting plan. And so then it still sometimes has to revert back to Stephanie to enable parents to make good on what they know to be important and necessary. But, of course, each of us has our own weaknesses, our own foibles, our own blind spots. And so sometimes, even though we know it's good for us, we still need help in making it happen. So the plan will stipulate exactly how parents think they should behave on behalf of the best interests of their children but that doesn't always make it possible for them to do without some assistance. Yes, and Adina, would it help if I provided an example, like a concrete um, so, example of how this looks? Or so sure, um, one con- you know, give us a concrete example, and then I want to make sure there's a couple other small things we get in. So, but yes, I think it'd be really helpful to listeners. Go ahead. Okay, so I just was working with a couple last evening. They have their oldest son out of th- their three children was diagnosed with ADHD. And this is an example of a couple that has not had a parenting plan in place, but this is a combination of doing co-parenting counseling and helping them implement a plan. So the mother had taken the oldest son to the doctor to have a medication check. She had not informed the the ex-husband that she was doing this. The doctor recommended that the son go increase his dosage of his stimulant. The mother then never communicated that to the ex-husband, although the son shared with the husband that he was taking a higher dose. The ex-husband was very, very upset about this, and so and they both had incredibly different perspectives on how this whole process played out, as you can all imagine. So a lot of the session last night was first getting to a place where each of them was able to express to each other what their frustrations and their concerns were about how the process worked, and what we ultimately came up with, which everybody felt really good about by the end of this, and this was a high-conflict couple who has not been talking to each other, so I really want to provide that as a background to this, and what they realized through this was a combination of a process and a plan. So the conclusion was was that going forward that neither that they would always go to this, the appointments going forward together to these psychiatrist appointments so that they could both be a part of it, they could both hear from the doctor, they could both give their input, their feedback and their concerns about what was going on so they would both know exactly what was going on and that they would both be willing going forward to, you know, dispense the medicine you know, according to what was agreed on, and that they were both going to go home and they were going to go back to the house where the child was and they were going to present to the child that night about what had gone on and that they both agreed on giving him the medication and why the medication was increased and that they both wanted him to know that if he had any side effects or any concerns about it, he could tell either of them and they would both be willing to go back to the doctor and re-examine this. So that would be, you know, a concrete example of how we had to implement a plan plus a process to get to a place where they both agreed and had a plan at the end of the night about how they were going to present this and go forward. Perfect. That's a great example. So, you know, as I'm listening to you, Stephanie, you know, one of the things, I mean, both in the creation of the plan with Sandy and in the work that you do, it seems to me that one of the big letting goes that, you know, couples or parents have to do in order to get to this place is that 
you know, as you said, that I know and that the other person, the other parent either doesn't know or doesn't care as much as I do. Because sometimes one parent's behavior can look to the other like, well, they don't care. They, they don't attend the sporting events. They don't do this. So they, the perception is, is that the way that I care is real care. And if the other person doesn't behave that way, they don't really care as much as I do. And so this letting go of that there's one way of really caring or having best interests and, you know, taking that like leap of faith that if I really listen, that I can understand that we just each perceive caring in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that was such such an important part of this process that I'm sharing with you that went on last night that the mother really felt that the father didn't care and that he hadn't been interested in coming to an appointment or didn't want anything to do with the medication or didn't agree with the medication. And by listening to him say that he cared, that he wanted to be present at the future appointments, that he wanted to be able to talk to the son together with her about what their decision was about it going forward, just changed her perspective and changed the way that she looked at him, the frame in which she looked at him of like you said, he, she didn't really think originally he cared. Yeah. And, you know, this is, you know, advice good for couples who stay married, too, is that, you know, how often are we really listening or are we assuming that we know what the other person's thinking? So whether we're divorced, we're married, whatever relationship, you know, we're in this whole piece of like, do we really know or are we assuming what we believe about someone else without the real evidence? So, Stephanie, I also want to ask you, because I, I know that you were on the advisory board for the creation of the Divorce Companion, and, yeah. you know, I, I spearheaded that project, and I wanted to, you know, I'll, I'll share just a little bit about what that is, but I also wanted you to invite invite you to talk a little bit about how pieces in there can be relevant to this work of mindfully navigating divorce with your placing, by placing your children at the center. Um, you know, the Divorce Companion is a multimedia program. It's audio, video, and a guidebook that is really designed to be the guide for the mindful divorce. You know, if we were to encompass it in one thing, that's it, the educated and mindful divorce. And so how do you prepare yourself for it? And you were on the advisory board, and particularly for because of what you could contribute in to the sections that had to do with prioritizing your children's health and well-being. So I just want to invite you to talk a little bit about the program and and ways in which, you know, pieces of it may be helpful in this process or anything you might want to share? Sure. Well, I mean, I could absolutely go on and on about the usefulness and the effectiveness of the program and how helpful it's been to people, but I'll talk about something specific for the sake of time that I use almost in every situation that I work with in co-parenting counseling, and that is about in the middle of the program, there's something that is listed in there as the Child Center Divorce Pledge. And basically, it's written almost as like a pseudo-contract. It's clearly not legally binding, but I think it really does set the stage and, and um, feel for the, the direction in which I like my couples to think about and work on, which is how to really stay as child-centered as possible. And what I do is actually not only do I have them sign it at the end, but I actually read it out loud to them. And I go through all the different pieces of it to really get their nodding of it and their acknowledgement of it and to really see how they both respond. And I really use that as the beginning point of finding commonality and building the trust between them to really see and hear that they're both very much committed to and feel strongly about taking care of their children and looking at their children's welfare and well-being as the centerpiece of this. 
So just to give you a couple of examples of what I will read to people, because I can't go through the whole thing, but I'll just give you a couple of sentences of what the Child Center Pledge says that I really, you know, have them sign and really, you know, start with. So the first couple of things that the Child Center Pledge says is honoring the importance of our children's relationships with each of their parents, not belittling or speaking ill of each other to or in hearing range of the children, which is so important that it's not just speaking to, but also saying it in, in hearing range of them, honoring the fact that our children are neither possessions nor pawns in this process and will not be used to try to manipulate the outcomes of the divorce agreement, and not using custody and visitation rights as a means of retaliating against each other at any time during or after the divorce process. So there's many other parts of this, but that's just to give you a little example of what this pledge looks like. And I really do use that as the very, like the cornerstone of the work that I do with people. But then there's a lot of other aspects of the divorce essentials book and multimedia program that can also be very applicable to the work. Great. Thanks. And, you know, for people who want to look at more information on that, you can find it on a, it has its own site, divorcecompanion.com. So you can always look up and find out some more information about that. So in our last, you know, couple minutes that we have here is I wanted to invite each of you, you know, this is almost sort of like your moment to kind of give your final word of wisdom here, something that you want to share. And also, how people can either reach you or work that you've done or where they may want to reach out for resources that would be helpful. And just so you both know, so we have listenership from Pennsylvania. We also have listenership from around the country. Sometimes we have from around the world too. So, you know, sometimes people may be able to contact you directly and work with you directly. Sometimes they may not be. So, you know, as you're kind of closing, what would you like to leave people with and what resource can you point them to and how can they reach you if uh, it's suitable for them to do so. So, Sandy? Okay. Um, well, I, I'm going <laughs> A to tall say, order. <laughs> I, I'm going to say two things. The first thing is listening to Stephanie read some of those very well-articulated pointers um, from the Divorce Essentials Manual. I also want to remind parents to be very careful of, again, language, that diminishes the parent-child relationship. And that tends to be legal words like visitation and custody. And what I would suggest to help you fashion the right mindset is to replace visitation, which is a legal word, with a two-home concept word that supports the parent-child relationship, and that is parenting schedule. So no parent is a visitor in his child's life. He is always a parent. She is always a parent. It's just, when am I on duty? When am I off duty? So replace visitation in your mind with parenting schedule. Replace custody with time with a parent. Custody is legal and off-putting, and it suggests that one parent is more powerful, therefore the other parent is less powerful or less important. So these are just little examples about how the words that we say and hear and read shape the way we approach our parenting choices because the goal of our parenting is for children to have happy and well-adjusted parents separately who together can provide a stable and predictable life that shields the children from unnecessary tension and upset. And that's what we try to craft as stipulations and provisions in the parenting plan. 
That's what Stephanie tries to breathe life into, the process, when folks have trouble with that. And that's the reason that you want to take control of the choices that are made on behalf of your children. And um, I can be reached through Mainline Family Law Center. The phone number there is 610-764-7144. I can also be reached by email at sher, S-H-E-R-R, at mlfamilylawcenter.com. If you are interested in accessing the website of the Mainline Family Law Center, you will find myriad references, resources, articles, anything and everything of import, at least in our view, um, for you to know and consider when you are planning or processing your divorce. So I think by going on to myhealthydivorce.com, which is our website, you will just have a plethora of resources at your disposal. Great. Thank you. And Stephanie, we've got like about a minute left, so go ahead and tell us uh, something you want to leave us with and then uh, either resources or how people can reach you. Sure. Um, I think the, the parting thought I would like to, to leave with is that if you can put aside all of the anger and difficulty and upsetness you've had with each other and focus on the importance of your kids having an equally strong and healthy relationship with both of you, regardless of how you feel inside at the moment about the other parent. I think that would be something I'd really like people to think about because I think that can really shape and um, help people to move in that direction ultimately. And in terms of getting in touch with me, you can get in touch with me through the Mainline Family Law Center. I'm considered a partner of theirs so that there's a link to my website through there, as well as you can go directly to my website, which is my name, Stephanie Newberg, N-E-W-B-E-R-G.com. I have a lot of resources and links and important information that is on my website that can give you a lot of what you're looking for, as well as I'm happy at any time to receive a phone call or an email asking for certain resources or to just answer any questions that you may have. So you can get to me through that. And my phone number, my personal work phone number that you can also call me directly on is 610-883-0127. So hopefully between Sandy and I, you'll be able to access us and get anything that you might need going forward. Great. Thanks to both of you. And as Sandy said, the Mainline Family Law Center can be found at MyHealthyDivorce.com. I can be found at DivorceEssentials.net and the Divorce Companion at DivorceCompanion.com. So we're leaving you with a plethora of resources. hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.